0: Welcome to Rooster Radio, where we talk to interesting people who do amazing things. I'm Andrew Montesi with James Begley. This episode was first published on Off Field, the podcast that focuses on the world of sport outside of the arena. For more info about that show, visit Offfield.co. That's off-field.co. We sit down with Australia's greatest Paralympian, swimmer Matt Cowdrey. Matt won 23 medals throughout his Paralympic career, including 13 gold, remarkably from just three games. He also has a long list of world records to his name. Born with a congenital amputation at his lower left arm, Matt never saw any limitations. He played multiple sports and took up swimming in his backyard pool. That evolved into daily 4am training sessions before making his Paralympic debut in 2004, the youngest competitor at just 15 years old. Despite living with a disability, Matt was never out to prove anyone wrong. He simply wanted to swim fast, win and inspire others. Hard work, dedication and commitment, values passed on by his parents, carry far beyond the pool and into his next career in politics. Pre-selected by the South Australian Liberal Party ahead of the state election in March 2018, Matt is using his wealth of experience, knowledge and influence to continue making a difference. We talk about Matt's career transition along with his Paralympic story, his pathway, values and much more. Off Field is produced by Pickstar, the best place to book sports stars for any event, campaign or engagement you can imagine. Choose from over 700 stars, past and present. Pickstar works fast with any budget. Visit pickstar.com.au. Enjoy our chat with Matt Cowdery. Matt Cowdery, welcome to
1: our podcast.
2: No, thank you for having me.
1: Now, I'm going to be a bit different here. What's the most frustrating question that you normally get when people ask about your physical limitations?
2: Uh, it's a great question uh, <laughs> and something I actually uh, go out of my way to, to answer as well. Yeah. So my m- most frustrating question is, is what annoys you about people asking uh, about why you, why you don't have your arm so effectively the question you've just asked but
1: um, but, but, but why does it irritating? i guess what i'm trying to say is like because you must get the same types of questions
2: all the time and is there one that irritates you and why well there's not actually there's not to me uh the question of asking somebody what happened to your arm uh particularly when it's coming from a, a young kid is actually the best thing possible for everyone's education and understanding of disability. Uh, The one thing that really actually annoys me is uh, the parent or the grandparent or the person that's with that young person that then shuts them down and tells Mm -hmm. them that no you can't ask that question. Uh, because all that does is stop the fact of people understanding that, you know, some people are born without limbs, some people lose them through through different events and accidents. So uh, to me, that level of understanding about disability only comes from asking questions, and I'm, I'm more than comfortable to answer them. You know, I was born without my arm. I never had it. It hasn't affected me in any way, really, to be completely frank. So uh, if anything, it's, it's changed my, my direction and the way my life went. So I think those questions are great, and I, I encourage them.
0: So I guess that kind of you're, by addressing it straight up, you avoid that awkwardness and Mm. things like stigma.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that's the only way that you do get rid of stigma is by asking questions and educating. So if you deny a young person uh, particularly the opportunity to answer that question or ask that question, uh, you know, you're effectively building that stigma even further. Did you always dream of being an
1: elite level sports person?
2: It kind of just happened to be completely frank. So, um, when I was younger, obviously not having the arm, I did all sorts of sports that didn't involve it. So I played soccer, I did a little athletics, um, and just enjoyed myself, uh, with my sport. I played basketball for a little while, which was, uh, which was good fun as well. But in terms of the swimming side, I, I, we just had a backyard pool and I did it for water safety. And, uh, if anything, uh, I've said this a few times that being born and swimming in South Australia actually probably helped my career in a lot of ways that we're not the strongest of swimming states which i think most people accept pretty uh, pretty readily um but that actually really helped me the fact i was able to to swim and race and compete and win medals at our state championships and actually be be good at that to a really great level um Really got me motivated to keep going, and you know I made my first Paralympics at 15, and it sort of just happened. I was the youngest person on the team, the last one to get selected, and my career sort of just took off from there. Come on, like you don't just go from your backyard pool to that. <laughs> <and some> rep- <laughs> there's a point
1: at which you go, oh, I might take this a bit more seriously.
2: Yeah, I, I certainly there's there's points uh, of time, and uh, it was always a goal that you you wanted to to get there. I always aimed high, and. Uh, I always had that in the back of my mind. I guess the, the one point in time where I really remember... Uh going, yes, I want to go to the Paralympics was um, Sydney 2000, really. That was the first time that I even knew Paralympic sport existed. I sat there uh, watching the Olympics and halfway through, I think there was a demonstration event uh, on the track and Louise Duvage went round and then they sort of mentioned that two weeks later there'd be the Paralympic Games, not on Channel 7 at the time, but on uh, ABC. Uh, Tuned into that a couple of weeks later and went, wow, there's actually a a pretty legitimate pathway to to go forward with. So that's that's sort of the point in time where I remember setting my sights on, on trying to get there.
0: So to go back a step, I guess, how would you describe your childhood? What was it like? What
2: was, I guess, your family culture? Um, I guess, guess like, it, you never want to say you had the, the, the normal upbringing, but, you know, my parents weren't well off. They weren't, you know, they weren't wanting either. They made sure they gave us, uh, myself and my sister, every opportunity to succeed. They'd sacrifice a, a, a lot to, to do that. Uh, I mean, I was swimming 10 sessions a week by the time I was 10 years old. So, effectively, my parents were – my dad in particular was committing a, a huge, uh, huge number of hours a week just getting me to the pool. So uh – he did a couple of great things for me uh, the alarm was in my room so uh training was always my responsibility mm-hmm. so five past four the alarm went off i had to go wake him up he'd jump in the shower uh he'd come back and grab me we'd go into the pool i'd fall asleep on the way, the way in while he drove uh, took us to the pool he uh, we lived sort of 45 minutes away so he slept in the car while i was training um, he'd then drive me to school, uh, do the full day at school. I actually had uh, a training mate back then by the name of Rowan Dennis, the, the great um, cyclist. Um, so his mum actually picked us up from school. We went to the same school, uh, drove us to uh, to training in the afternoon. My dad had come down, finished his work off uh, on the side of the computer as a graphic artist, so always had his computer there. Um, and then I'd go home and tend to do a bit of homework and go to sleep and do it all again the next day so
1: there's a certain sort of personality i think that is attracted to those dark mornings uh, in the middle of july bleak (laughs) and you're wanting to get up and jump a pool um you know in all seriousness so what is the psychology of an athlete and a swimming athlete that enjoys that
2: I'm not I'm not sure that enjoyments the right word no, uh, in the way that, like that, that <laughs> I approached it either I I think it was just something that had to be done yeah. so it was never a question of not doing it and it was never really even at that point a question of enjoyment it was just something that had to be done to get to the end goal so uh it almost became automatic and you never questioned it uh and it was just something that that needed to be done so you
0: mentioned that moment of of the 2000 um Paralympics what happens next in terms of actually putting some things in place and say, this is what I want to do and this is how I'm going to achieve it?
2: Well, in many respects I was very lucky, and I say that probably too much, but I, from a very young age, at 10 or 11, actually managed to find a coach who, who treated me no differently to anybody else in his squad. He uh, had a sister who was deaf, so I'm not sure if that played a part in his sort of understanding of disability as well, Um and he he just was one of the most amazing coaches. I was with him my whole career, minus a couple of years where I was interstate. But um, Pete Bishop has a, a lot to do with with where I was, and I mean he's gone on to, to great things since then. Uh, he's coach Kyle Chalmers, obviously, and now a, a Paralympic and Olympic gold medal coach. Um, and he uh, he really, to my basis, was was one of the reasons, and and really put the things in place for me to to succeed. You've achieved, uh, I guess
1: so much in in a long period of time now, you know, across many Olympics, how do you uh, sort of summarise the most euphoric moments? What, what what comes to mind when I ask you that question?
2: There were probably two that stand out in particular um, as far as the, the medals go. Um, number 11 was obviously an important one for me to, to skip past that mark of 10 that had been set and um, then reach that point of being the most successful Australian Paralympic athlete. That was something pretty special, and it was a 50 freestyle, and uh, probably in terms of the actual race execution, my best race of the the London Games as well, so that one was special. But uh, the 13th and final will, without doubt, always be the most special one for me. So uh, earlier in the meet, Uncle Toby's, who, who sponsored me for a number of years, uh, worked out that my parents weren't there. My parents were never in a position to really go go across to any of these international meets. Um, and they flew them over without me knowing. So uh, they actually got into the stands literally five minutes before the race started. Um, they, I didn't know they were even there until five minutes after the race. Um, and, yeah, to have them there and to, to share that with them after, you know, it was the only Paralympic gold medal they actually saw in person... Um and to have them there and share that with them after everything that dad did the, the mornings, the time, the commitment, the, the the money, everything uh was yeah, by far I'll the get, most
0: special. I'll get goosebumps just listening to
2: that. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> yeah,
0: awesome. It's amazing. Interesting. I'll uh, doing a bit of reading, obviously your success has been unpacked many, many times. Um one thing that interested me was kind of the question of what motivated you, what drove you um to that success point. I think the question was probably asked, oh, you know, to you're proving people wrong all that sort of stuff
2: but it seemed like it was almost quite simplistic you just wanted to swim fast it's literally I I just enjoyed pushing myself and I always had you know certain times that that I'd set myself as I went through and I never really looked too far ahead I never really put middle expectations Mm -hmm. because it's it's just there's so many uncontrollables in in sport that you can't change so for me, it was just always trying to push myself to swim faster each and every time I got in the water. And one of the, the most frustrating things towards the end of my career was not being able to keep that progression going. So um, the 100 freestyle, for instance, I always wanted to go sub 55. That was the absolute ambition that I had. And I, I think I ended on 55.15 or something like that was the um, the end, uh, end time that I reached. But um, there's always those goals that you're not going to reach. But I, I just wanted to swim fast. That was it. I just wanted to get out there and swim as fast as I possibly could.
1: Running in parallel with the sport, as you're growing up and you're going through teenage years and you're experiencing all the teenage things, um, how do you how do you reflect on that journey? Was it an easy path for you, or were
2: there moments where it got hard? Um, I, depends on which angle you're coming at. In terms of like the whole disability thing and having an arm, I don't think it really ever affected me in any way Whatsoever, I probably didn't have have the personality to let it (laughs) affect me, to be completely honest. But uh, in terms of the swimming side and the the hours and commitment that you had to put aside, I just never saw it as a sacrifice. Like, I I did what I did. It was different to what most people did. And, you know, I had my friends within the swimming world and and people that I still catch up with today. So you just had a a different set of friends Mm -hmm. and you did different stuff on the weekend. But aside from that, it was just, um, you know, it was what needed to be done
0: interested in in the financial aspect as well like um you know either the most successful paralympian could you sustain yourself on all of the the financial rewards associated with that like was that enough to to, to provide <laughs> many it? days <laughs> well exactly well that that's, that might be the answer to actually provide you with a living through that period of success
2: well look it changed it changed Quickly um, through that period, and that's probably one of the things that I am most proud of is is the fact that uh, in some way, shape, or form, I was able to to sort of change the face of what Paralympics was. So, you know, when I first started in Athens, we were sponsored by uh, in terms of clothing, Spotlight, uh, where my grandma got her curtain fabric, and you know, we we had to pay our own way to the camps beforehand. So, you know, my parents made a huge financial commitment to to get me where I, I did get to as well. So. To go from that to to where we are now, I think it was about 0607 that um, Paris Swimming was integrated with Swimming Australia, um, so that sort of started to change the the ball rolling, and then um, the the government assistance grants were started to come in about 2010 2013. Um, so it, it changed along the way, but I think there still were a, a huge misconception about what. Uh, our olympic athletes actually earn mm. so anybody uh, on our team that sits in that top threshold in terms of base government funding you're talking 20 to 30 grand a year so it's not it's not a lot um for those that are still young enough to be living at home and supported by parents obviously that's a, a you know a, a good amount of money but for anybody that's reached the point of moving out of home that has to go swim at a, a club to to be successful outside of their, their home state uh you know it's it's not enough to cover rent and food really so and it's very few athletes who get the opportunity to have uh, commercial sponsorship outside of that so um i guess the other thing that i've been lucky to do is is the ability to talk and to, to do public speaking is is probably one of the great untapped opportunities for a lot of our uh, paralympic and uh, olympic athletes that so, um that's probably one of the the one ways that if you can put together a good story and, and share that with people there's an opportunity there
0: did you learn that early on that that ability to almost package up a, a story that can that can generate that income?
2: Um I think it was a, a natural thing in many ways as well again i got lucky to to be associated with a, a great company at a, an early stage as well so um after the the melbourne games uh, i was approached by a management company i I'd never even thought or, or discussed that, that sort of cool? stuff with anyone before did you uh, enjoy it that? Was, but it was but it wasn't it was um a little bit intimidating to be honest and i still had that same mindset that why would anybody want to sponsor a paralympic athlete at that stage so um, and to be honest, it took a number of years to, to reach the point where we were able to break through and, and actually start to get commercial sponsorship as well. But they were able to start to build a pipeline for me of, of talking opportunities, and that's something that I, I kind of enjoyed. It's not something I'd want to do for the rest of my life, talk about myself, but uh, <laughs> uh, as, it, as it was, to be able to earn enough money to, to get by, and, yeah, it was uh, an opportunity.
1: I read an article, and it was probably 2015, and you started to set your sights on finishing sport and what Mm. was beyond it Um, how sort of large has finishing sport loomed in your mind has it been something that you've you know worried about or you just encounter it in the same way that you encounter your swimming just take it as it comes
2: i think i always approached it as you take it as it comes because at the end of the day as, as i said my goal was always just to swim as fast as i possibly could uh, and i knew that that trajectory was going to stop at some point in time you're never going to be able to keep improving and improving and improving um and the enjoyment level at some stage is going to, to drop as well so um i sort of approached it in the fact that i knew it was inevitable it was always going to come so you always had to be well prepared and, and my parents were always of the uh Opinion that I needed to make sure that I was well prepared for that as well. So whether it was making sure through the early years I I was at school and doing as best as I possibly could there, that I transitioned and and did uni to the best of my possible best I possibly could as well that was certainly something from their perspective um but also while towards later years that I found opportunities to work and do different things and and widen my horizons to different opportunities as well so um I always approach everything that you've you've always got to have a backup plan that's Mm. that's the way I approach everything that you you've always got to make sure that there's a couple of angles open for you you never want to sort of uh put yourself in a position where you're left wanting if something doesn't go right so that's that's effectively how I've always approached things.
0: So post-sport seems like there's plenty of opportunities you've done your study you're you're working at KPMG yep yep Um, so there's, there's opportunities but I guess where did the the initial interest in politics come about was it early on or was it something that just started to emerge a bit later in life?
2: it's uh it's interesting that sport is so closely intertwined with politics anyway uh you know from the time I was 12 years old I I had you know opportunities to deal with sports ministers and prime ministers and and that sort of thing so you naturally build a bit of a uh, an interest in in what's going on and following sort of that side of things quite intricately and uh towards the end of my career I, I took sort of four or so months uh, and actually lived in Washington, D.C., Uh, trained over there uh, by myself effectively um, at the the Georgetown pool uh, and did a fellowship with a a U.S. congresswoman uh, by the name of Ileana ross Leighton. So I always had a a sort of interest in it and I thought that this was just a great opportunity to sort of clear my mind and go overseas for a little while to uh, spend some time in a different sort of politics as well, I guess. It's not quite the Australian version over there. Things are very different, a much bigger beast, and uh, a little bit of a, a very insular a town, DC itself as well. But uh, it was a great opportunity to see, uh, I guess, the, the insides of how uh, politics is done over there.
1: But you mean you don't? Sort of fall into politics because you've got a bit of an interest. surely there's there's a kind of a a deep seated um, mission or sort of uh, set of ideals that you're that galvanise you. Hmm. Um, When did you find them sort of bubbling to the surface and then you know giving you a chance to actually then you know follow it properly?
2: Yeah, well, I think you've always, even what I was doing in swimming, I've always had the uh, the passion to try and make a difference in whatever I did. Uh, And I probably didn't realise the impact of the difference that I had the opportunity to make through swimming until after I'd finished, to be completely honest. Um, In the same way that, I guess, Louise Savage was able to open my eyes and to to help me see that there's opportunities um, for somebody as a 10-year-old with a disability sitting in their lounge room watching, watching her compete. I didn't realise the true impact of, of the number of kids that watched me do what I did and, and then went, you know what, there's no reason to be, you know, I hate to word, use the word of shame, but, you know, I just sit in my lounge room, I can get out there and do stuff. And that was, that was something that I always really enjoyed, was having those people uh, and those kids in particular come up and, and sort of spread that message about the fact that what I did didn't it just, you know, affect me but it certainly affected more people past that. And, you know, I've always looked for opportunities. I'm on the board of Variety, uh, the children's charity here, and that's another opportunity to have a, a huge impact on, on, you know, young kids' lives that, that grow up that maybe don't have the same opportunity as everybody. But uh, in a similar way, I see politics as an opportunity to, to make a difference, um, whether that be, you know finding a way to, to help somebody with fixing a kerb or a gutter or, or whether you look at the the bigger, uh, more impactful things um, from a state perspective. You know, I've, I've, like most people that are in their late 20s, I've reached a point where the majority, of, uh, from, from Adelaide anyway, the majority of my friends and uh, people that I went to uni with have all left South Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, I can count on one hand probably the, the number of people uh, that I was close to at uni that are still here in South Australia. Mm-hmm. So... I sort of see the fact that South Australia is reading reaching uh, a juncture that's that's really important in the next couple of years and uh, to be a part of uh, a team that, that looks to try and change that around I've always enjoyed a challenge as well that's certainly uh, certainly not uh, a secret so uh, it was it was just something that felt like a natural transition for me in many ways as well so you've got this 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 mission
0: that is to almost continue making a difference beyond your career so in terms of politics, how do you actually take the next step and and engage? How did it start for you? How, what were those early conversations like?
2: Um, well, it actually stemmed out of that that US, um, US trip. So uh, Ileana was a, a very moderate Republican and um, she, a number of her staff, actually had connections with the Liberal Party here. So uh, they started on a couple of fronts, to be honest. So that side of things, uh, I also had a, a good friend through some of my... Uh, uni days that, that worked for a, a, a Liberal MP here as well in Adelaide. Uh, and just, as I said, the number of people that you you run into through uh, the swimming side of things. I mean, people often, I think, probably don't understand the, the broader community and the number of things that you have to go to as a, a professional athlete and the number of people that you run into and meet, that it's not, it's not just <laughs> at the pool 24-7 that to, uh, the further yeah. that things progress... The the more that you have, uh, you know, impact in different areas. I mean, I was at Parliament House in Canberra every year with the National Drowning Report. Um, There, here in South Australia, around a number of things as well. Vax Swim plus plus other things outside of just uh, just the sporting side. The Premier's um, Be Active Challenge and others. So. Uh, that sort of transition into to mixing with with some of those people um, happens fairly fairly easily as what well. What an
1: amazing opportunity! I never would have occurred to me that you could kind of build your political network through through sport and mm. and, and all those initiatives. Um, one step back because I'm really intrigued in what do you do in a day to day sense when you when you uh, you've got an internship with a U.S. congresswoman? What, like what is it that you do?
2: <laughs> it was. Uh... Me. It was a it was a fascinating time. It really was, uh, particularly from the US perspective. Uh, and I was over there during the the winter when it was a little bit quieter in terms of the number of people through the office. So um, she takes on an international fellow every year. So I, I managed to to get that that opportunity. Um, but it was it was so broad and, and different. So from uh, you know, uh, constituent issues through uh, much of which I, I b- picked up a little bit of Spanish while I was there in that sense. So she was Cuban and, and her uh, constituency was in Miami-Dade. So it was uh, a lot of a lot of Spanish uh, speakers. So I probably wasn't the best on the phones, but in terms of uh, emails and issues coming through that way. So we'd respond to all sorts that came through the congressional office, uh, a little bit of policy stuff. So there was a, a big... Uh, as I'm sure that will be revisited after this recent uh, lot of uh, hurricanes that have come through. There's a national flood insurance scheme set up in the US um, that is based on the likelihood of cyclonic activity, the much of which is sort of directed to, to Florida, But over the last couple of years there, uh, while I was there, there was obviously a couple of hurricanes that went through New Jersey and New Orleans and places where they don't actually pay into the the flood insurance policy but were then taking out. So there was a a sort of sense of there being issues with how that was structured, correct? Um, And obviously that I'm sure will be redressed again Mm -hmm. given the recent uh, hurricanes that have come through as well. So you get pre-selected, preparing... So uh, so how, how does that happen, Yeah
1: what the, the how does the pre-selection happens i was getting there you just cut me off you just you just said it as, happened as soon,
0: as soon as you bring up politics of this bike <laughs> he starts getting warmed up yeah sorry mate you asked the question
2: no i want to know <laughs> i want to know how you get pre-selected um well look it's a it's very much a similar process to anyone through the liberal party i've been a a, a member of the the local branch for three or four years i think uh had uh, been attending meetings regularly. That's what you do. You get to know the the people at the local branch and uh, when the time comes, you put your hand up. It's as simple as that. Monty, really.
0: it's all yours. <laughs> oh, thanks, <laughs> thanks, mate. So in terms of getting pre-selected, I'm, I'm really interested in setting the strategy before you kick off your campaign. Do you need to kind of, I mean, you know your values and, and what you're going to stand for, but I guess you've got to unpack it into a into a, a plan and and a way that people are going to be able to understand and I guess articulate it how do you what was that process like
2: I think that was actually one of the the more difficult things because a lot of the time as as an athlete you let your what you do in the water and how you carry yourself um do the talking for you so actually having to to look inside and and try and articulate what you stand for I actually think is quite a, a difficult thing um particularly from uh, the point of moving from sport to politics it, it changes from the fact that you have to be so inwardly focused to to very outwardly and be able to succinctly demonstrate what you stand for and um to me i mean some of the the major themes are quite easy you know hard work commitment uh integrity uh those are the things that I, I just pride myself on and live by it every day that uh you've got to stand by by what you believe in but talking about it to me has far less uh, of a resonance than actually the way that you carry yourself and and go about it from a day-to-day perspective and I don't think that changes a lot Uh, I just had to be uh, a lot more vocal about the way that I I communicate that.
0: And do you take an athletic approach to it you would have looked out to a Paralympics coming at a certain date you see the the election coming at at march like do you have those milestones and you're almost building in the same way as you would to a a paralympic campaign
2: i think you have to uh at the end of the day no matter what you do whether it be through business whether it be through sport whether it be through politics uh The best way to get an outcome is make sure that you measure yourself along the way and that you set yourself goals and that you set yourself benchmarks and and points in time where you assess how you're going and uh, that's the only way that you can assure that you've got a a consistent effort across a period of time but also that you're tracking in the right direction uh, at a specific point in time. Uh, it's a lot harder to, to measure the sort of measurables in, in politics, um, but there's certainly things from an activity perspective that you can can measure. And I know you guys talked to Stephen Marshall uh, not too long ago. So um, from that perspective, I think he and I see things very similar and it's been very easy for me to slot into that system that um, the way that he sits KPIs and, and goals for his team is very similar to how I see the world.
1: Mm -hmm. How do you view, um, and Monty and I have talked about it a couple of times, uh, the feeling that half the state might wake up and then have a perception that they don't like you. Like surely you couldn't have just been an Instagram influencer, or something, (laughs) everyone everyone would continue to love you. I mean, how have you you, uh, kind of worked through that in your own mind?
2: I think at, at the end of the day, you're never going to please everybody. I think that's the first thing that you've got to come to accept. And I, I certainly know that through sport that you've seen a number of people that I've raced with or spent time with over the time that um, – you know, not everybody is universally liked. They may be the best person in the world to talk to outside of um, sport, but, you know, it's very easy to gain a, a perception or, or somebody to build an idea about somebody that may not necessarily be true, but um, that because of certain reasons they they then think that that person is is not necessarily, necessarily a good person. But to me I respect, and uh, at the end of the day it comes down to respect, that I certainly understand that people see the world differently, uh, and I think that's a good thing and a healthy thing for us to have difference uh, and to respect that. Um, and at the end of the day, you've just got to understand that, as you say, um, not everyone sees the world the same way, but that doesn't necessarily mean, mean that they hate you as a person by any means. Mm.
1: We asked Steve Marshall the same question, and and that was if you could articulate kind of the picture in your mind, like if you're going to talk about, you know, being in Adelaide in 10 years' time and, and, and you've made some changes, what does that, what does the picture look like?
2: Well, firstly, I'd like to see the fact that the demographic changes slightly, that we've got uh, a number of people that have seen, uh, That they can come back to Adelaide to not just raise their families, but be here and have a career that uh, is meaningful and purposeful for them, that they see economic opportunity, that they see that it's a good place to do business, that we can have (sighs) Adelaide humming along to the point where we don't have to walk down Grenfell Street and see police signs everywhere, left, right and centre. A healthy city and a healthy uh, town to me is somewhere where you can walk down, it's I hate to use the word vibrant because I think it is used too much in <laughs> politics these days, but to see a place where there's a smile on people's face when they walk down the street because they know they're happy and content with what they're doing. Um, to me, that's that's at the end of the day what, what politics is about, is to, to get South Australia up and running again, to have us in a position where we're the envy of the eastern states. And I'm a very proud South Australian, I always have been, but... Um, over the last 10 or 15 years, you know, you go into, into state or overseas to compete and, um, you talk about Adelaide. The response is very different now than it was 10 or 15 years ago.
0: A number of athletes have transitioned into politics over many years. Have you looked at what other athletes have done from a case study
2: perspective? Uh, I've, I've looked at some. I haven't probably gone into it as much detail as I think probably people would expect I think everybody's journey is slightly different uh, and every athlete is very different as well uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that every athlete approaches things in the exact same mm. way either so I've certainly had a look at, at some mm. uh, uh, there's certainly some great examples but I think at the end of the day if you're going to do something you have to take your own approach to it and have to, to have to in many ways take a clear clear canvas uh, particularly in this instance that uh, we're talking about a. A very different thing there's a lot of federal examples there's a, a lot of um, international examples but state politics is a very different thing as well you
1: um i talk we talk like you're sort of 40 but <laughs> you're still very young um i guess what have what have been the significant life experiences that you've had that have helped shaped your beliefs but probably besides your um physical limitations
2: yeah well i I think, I think you're right that sport does have a lot to do with that in many respects as well. I mean, I, I learnt the value of hard work through sport. I learnt respect and integrity and those things through sport. I learnt that you can't take shortcuts, um, through sport. Um, what I did from an early age certainly did in many ways shape my personality and shape my beliefs and shape my value system. Um, and sport has given me a lot in many respects. Um, I, met my fiance through sport. Um, I, I've gained different relationships with people through sport as well. But outside of that, I think uh schooling obviously makes a, a huge difference and, and, and university and how you, you go through those events, the people that you meet, the the way that you you see the world. Um but I, I'm, I'm always – I'm an optimist. I'm, I'm positive about the fact that we can – I believe in democracy. I believe that we've got a great opportunity to, to influence change still. I certainly don't don't approach uh, politics with the same scepticism as, as I think most do at this stage. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think there's many things that have shaped how I've gotten to where I am. I'm, I mean, I've travelled internationally since I was – Eleven years old, and that's something that not a lot of people probably get the opportunity to do. And I've been to countries where um, I, I notice things. I notice that disabilities view differently in certainly different countries. I know that that um, you know you can tell the difference on a street within, in a country where the unemployment rate is twenty five percent, and there's there's different things going on. So I've seen a lot of the world for somebody of my age just based on what I've done in my life so far. Mm. What about the people
0: that have shaped you? So perhaps in the early years and even now, who are the who are the people that have influenced you, and and what is it about them?
2: Well, I don't think you have to go any further than your parents. To be completely honest, um, to me, they've they've obviously shaped who I am to a, a huge extent. Um, my coach as well, but my parents are, are just two people that. You know, Dad was a ten-pound pom that came out here in the the early '60s, and uh, he set up his life here. He, he got married. He worked his his butt off his whole life. He never never really wanted anything else but to to you know have a family, raise his kids, uh, and and look for an opportunity where he was going to be able to give his kids every ability to to have what he had. And that's such a, a noble uh, and. An enlightening I guess uh example and and to set for for me that I, I just really did take from him the fact that everybody should be wanting to 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 work hard and to, to give their kids the best opportunity to succeed hmm. has there been any grief or um sadness at not competing anymore or were you just really <laughs> ready to finish I, d- I don't know if grief is the right word. I certainly miss the people and I miss the travel uh, and I miss the the feeling of standing on the blocks and the adrenaline rushing through you. I think that's just something that you can never replace in, in anything that you do. Um, swimming in front of 25,000 people is, is something that is very hard to replace, but at the same time, I don't really miss the day-to-day. Uh, I've, I've loved getting out and, and doing new things. I've I've loved uh, transitioning into the business world and and to making a difference in a, a different way through what I do there. Um, I've loved uh, expanding my networks and meeting different people from different backgrounds. I think that's that's great as well. Um, but the. The swimming itself, I think I'm always going to love. Um, I think water safety is a, a hugely important thing for, for our country as well. Um, we're up by, by nearly 50% the, uh, the deaths uh, through waterways and, and the beaches this, this year. So that's a scary statistic in itself and uh, something that we need to, to pay a little bit more attention to. I think we're ready for Punter's Corner. Do you want to explain the context? So, <laughs> so Punter's
0: Corner is where we um, we ask the nuffy questions. Yes, you know, all, all the typical kind of sports fan uh, related questions. Sure. First one from me is like, what was the moment where you were starstruck, and what athlete Ooh. where you just went into full fan mode?
2: I'm not sure that it was an athlete, um, but I was at an awards ceremony in Abu Dhabi one year. Uh, and I got into the elevator. The elevator stopped and Morgan Freeman walked in. Oh, <laughs> and uh, that was probably the moment where I was most starstruck, I think. I, I didn't even get a, a sentence out. <laughs> I just sat there in awe, <laughs> hoping yeah. he would speak.
1: <laughs> the one sport that you wish you could be a professional at if it wasn't swimming?
2: Uh, I did very briefly try uh, my hand at this Uh and it didn't didn't go too well. Uh, I love ice hockey. Uh, have followed it for for many many years, uh, and I started trying to skate just soon after I quit uh, in the pool. And it didn't go very well. It's a different form of water that I apparently <laughs> don't agree with very well. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd love to love to play ice hockey. You mentioned that you've you've travelled the world.
0: What's your favourite place outside of Adelaide? Of course.
2: <laughs> this is a, a very good question. So I, I I love America. Uh I've I've always been interested in the politics of it, but also the fact that we've you've got a an area of land uh and the difference between people uh, across those different areas is just so, so diverse. Um, based on obviously a number of, of different factors. But to see the cultural differences uh in somewhere that that's come together as a united country i, I think he's just incredible and I've, I've always loved going over there competing over there i think they get a bad rap as people too um, mm. i've generally had just great experiences with americans when i've, I've been over there but um yeah i, I for some reason have always uh, enjoyed america mm.
1: um we often ask that
2: the top few apps that you use on your phone Yes, uh, well, I'm a bit of a sports buff uh, in every sense in terms of the US, so I think the ESPN app's up there. Uh, Facebook now through the, uh, the the politics side just certainly gets a good run these days. Uh, a couple of news apps, but, yeah, the NFL app, the NHL app, they're, they're certainly there as well. There's a real, there real states theme. is yeah, there, the US yeah,
0: of um, what's it, I mean, you've touched on what a typical day was Uh, during your swimming career, what's a typical day now from the
2: wake-up time through to shutting off? Well, it's it's going to change quickly in the next next little while as uh, things ramp up with the campaign, but uh, it's very much uh, a seven-day week at the moment. So, Mornings, uh, I think I, I get a good opportunity just to look through emails and Facebook and, and see what's gone on uh, in the world. I'm still working full-time at the moment, so into the office uh, by 8.30 through to 5 o'clock and then get away reasonably quickly these days uh, straight to, to whatever it is, whether it be phone canvassing, door knocking or uh, or community events. And and Saturdays and Sundays are, are pretty well taken up as well at the moment. So uh, my poor fiancé probably doesn't see me quite as much as she'd like to at the, the current time, but... Um, um, that's a, the sort of thing that we were well aware was going to happen as we came into this mm-hmm. as well. So uh, I think that's that's something that I'm also very happy about as well is to see a few more younger people wanting to get involved in state politics here in South Australia. I think that's a, a great thing to have diversity of thought from that perspective, particularly, as we've said, the number of people that young people that are leaving the state. I think it's a, a good thing to have that perspective. Uh, and also the disability side. I mean, we've got Kelly Vincent here in South Australia, but mm. to have somebody with a disability within one of the major parties influencing change in that way as well, I think is very positive.
1: Mm. There's a couple of um, uh Ministers, or I think that, that have a disability already. Is there anyone else that you've kind of put up and said that's a great um, example of someone with a disability that's gone into to
2: politics? Well, there's, there's certainly a few, and, and just in, in recent times, actually, not that, uh, from my persuasion, but over in New South Wales, one of our, our Paralympic, uh, sailors, actually, at Liesl Tesh, just ran and was successful in the, the Gosford by-election. So there's, there's certainly examples of that, uh, and I think that's a, a positive thing for Australia. I mean, one in five people in Australia have some form of disability. Kidding. Wow. Uh, nearly 20 percent and wow. whether that be visible or or non-visible yeah, yeah. that's uh that's something else that that message doesn't quite get there sometimes as well so um I, yeah i think it's a, a hugely important thing i mean i you know you always talk about representative politics what that means is a, another thing for for different people but uh i think it's a positive thing
1: well matt look thank you for Um, giving us your sort of inner thoughts on your career, on what lies ahead, being, um, you know, really inspirational and using, I guess, the platform that you've created to stay in South Australia and make a difference. And I, for one, um, really appreciate your efforts. So thanks for coming in and and being on our
2: podcast. No worries at all, boys. Thanks
0: for listening to our chat with Matt Cowdery. Connect with Matt at mattcowdery.com.au. If you're interested in a different take on the world of sport, in the words of the most influential people from within the industry, subscribe to Off Field. Search your podcast player or visit offfield.co. That's off-field.co. We have plenty of interesting interviews in the bank and many more to come on Rooster Radio. So subscribe and if you like what we're doing, please leave us a review. And connect with us at roosterradio.biz. We'd love to hear from you. you.